Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Welcome, my minions, to The Balance on a rainy Saturday morning here in Indianapolis, high atop The Balance Studios. You have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And also, welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations across this great land of the United States and Canada, for that matter. Uh, speaking of Canada, we'll be having our favorite Canadian on here with us in just a moment. Tyson Lautenschlager of OnPitRoad.com is going to be talking some IndyCar with us, as well as our official IndyCar contributor, Matthew Embry of uh, At Popular Open Wheel. Now, we're going to be breaking down last week's race in Phoenix. And of course, they're out in the sunny Southern California, Long Beach this weekend. Always a great show out there in Long Beach. Also going to be talking with Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Going to be breaking down Martinsville, a little short track action uh, as well. And, of course, Rick Riggin will be joining us in the second hour. We'll be talking some more NFL draft, NBA playoffs, MLB, all around great stuff. And at the bottom of the hour, the bottom of the show we save the best for last if you will no i'm just kidding is mo from the bs sports show will be joining us and we will uh, just bs about sports and he'll talk with us a little bit about those of us that have some gambling habits my name is tom mark with sale presidente we'll be right back right here on the balance radio network So I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. 
have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome back to the Palace. My name is Tom Mark Michelle, President. Hey! Time to get into our IndyCar talk. Uh, with Joining us uh, from north of the border, our favorite Canadian, Mr. Tyson Lautenschlager of OnPitRoad.com, and Matthew Embry of At Popular Open Wheel Now. Tyson, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Always good on a rainy Saturday morning in Indianapolis. But what do they say? April showers bring May flowers. And uh, standing by, maybe not with flowers, but certainly uh, going to be talking with us about uh, sunny Southern California, Mr. Matthew Embry of At Popular Open Wheel Now. How are you, sir? Busy situation here. A lot of stuff going on today. I'll be limited on what I can do today, but uh, I'll give you a few answers on what's going to happen uh, this weekend. Okay, sounds good. Sounds like a plan. We'll start with you, uh, our guest of honor, Tyson. Normally you join us in our NASCAR segment, but because of uh, obligations that you've got also as well, you, you jumped on with us with IndyCar. I greatly appreciate you doing this. We want to talk with you a little bit about, well, you got to admit, my favorite Canadian uh, uh, driver is James Hinchcliffe, but a close second to that, you got to admit, Wickens is lighting it up and showing the world that he's here and he's in it to win it. Yeah, and Robert Wickens, I, I think a lot of people definitely wouldn't have expected him to run as well as he did at ISM Raceway uh, last weekend. But really, this guy so much speed uh, on the oval, leading 44 laps, finishing second. Really great performance for Robert Wickens uh, out there. But, I mean, you can't underestimate his stardom because this is a guy who was signed uh, to drive in, in DTM for Mercedes, and you don't get a drive like that if you don't show at least a little bit of promise. So 
maybe we shouldn't be so surprised that Robert Wickens is running so well. Matt, Matt looks at your thoughts on Robert Wickens. Also, I want to talk with you about Alexander Rossi. Alexander Rossi uh, appears to be one of the fastest cars on the track down there in Long Beach. Rossi's look pretty solid. I mean, you got to give credit to Honda for developing a faster engine, but uh, like uh, Tyson said, I think Rickens has got to be the guy to beat, even though he's only entered two races. The fact that he has been competitive on two different types of tracks uh, I think is very telling, and if you look ahead down the road, uh, his stock for the Indianapolis 500 and not just for Rookie of the Year honors uh, is increasing uh, very impressively at this point. But uh, the question right now is, can Rossi back up the hype? Uh, we've said this for the last two years. He's had chances and has been able to cash in a majority of them outside the Indianapolis 500 where a fuel mileage took advantage and then obviously Watkins Glen last year. So he still has something to prove. And actually, if you look at the same level based on the information, he's probably at the same level as Wickens is at this point, and that's almost hard to believe considering Wickens' lack of experience in these open-wheel cars, especially considering that he is used to running cars with fenders uh, in German DTM. Tyson, let's talk a little bit about last week's win in Phoenix. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, I tell you what, I, he, I, I've liked Joseph. I've been following his career. He just keeps stacking them up, stacking them up, stacking them up. He's a, he's a championship driver for sure. Talk with us a little bit about that win that he literally stole in Phoenix last year. Wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Newgarden, if you look at his last several races, going back to Toronto of last year, He's won uh, basically half of them. It's uh, pretty incredible the, the pace he's been on, and even having a, a couple months off season really didn't take that away. So we're seeing uh, Joseph Newgarden at, at the beginning of last year. It seemed like with Penske, um, you know, maybe it was going to take him a little bit to come to true form, and it really didn't take him all that long. Um, but as soon as he did come to true form and, and he got to where he could be and was able to perform and get wins, he didn't stop winning, and he's uh, still doing that now. Newgarden, obviously, he did kind of uh, steal the show away at the end of uh, the race um, last weekend, and he gave a lot of that credit to his uh, pit crew but really and the entire team, but really Newgarden did put on a pretty fantastic drive to get up to the front, and that team is going to be a force to be reckoned with again this, uh, this season. The defending champions, they're really good. Matthew, let's get a recap of last week's race in Phoenix, and we'll get into this week's uh, uh, race down in Long Beach. What were your thoughts as you watched that race unfold out in the desert last uh, in, at, in the nighttime desert? I'm sorry, I can't talk today. It's only Saturday. In the nighttime desert out there in Phoenix last week. Uh, a lot of missed opportunities by a lot of big-name drivers. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais with the pit stop gap uh, and hitting the crew member uh, ruined his race. Uh, Will Power had his opportunities to win. Wickens did. Great strategy call uh, by Joseph Dugard. It took a lot of guts to get out the lead to take out fresh tires, but ultimately that proved to be the right decision, and he ends up taking the victory almost in the style that he did uh, when he won the championship last year when he got wins late at Alabama, St. Louis. So uh, is this a sign of things to come? I still think there is work for them to do with the less of the two engine choices right now with Chevrolet I think being at a lesser position than Honda is at this point. But uh, this continues. Uh, this is a bad news uh, for the rest of the field, uh, looking ahead to the rest of 2018 and beyond uh, with Newgarden. 
looking as good as he did late in that race. Still has something to prove, I think, at a place like Long Beach, but uh, considering Penske has had a lot of success there, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to say he is certainly one of the favorites if he can get a good grid position, because I think with the new car, it's going to be a lot tougher to pass. And you can't expect uh, the quirky pitch strategies that have influenced uh, the racing, such as at St. Pete, to manifest himself all the time. So I'd say right now, uh, if Newgarden can't get it done on the grid as far as a qualifying position and get into that Firestone Fast 6, uh, he'll have a harder time, I think, uh, trying to find his way to Victory Circle this weekend. Matthew, let's talk a little bit about what's going on down in Long Beach. Uh, Long Beach is probably next to the Indianapolis 500, one of the most popular racing, races on the circuit. And certainly, uh, as far as star-studded and, and uh, uh, star sightings, if you will, outside of the Indianapolis 500, that's the place to be this weekend is in Southern California. Break us, break us down uh, the track of Long Beach through the streets of Long Beach, California. Just under two miles, uh, goes around the convention center, and then obviously the Long Beach Aquarium, where the circuit is laid out. Two realistic places to overtake at the end of Shoreline Drive, entering turn one, and then the end of Seaside Way, entering turn nine. Uh, not necessarily the super cookie cutter like, uh, say, the Monaco Grand Prix is for Formula One, where it's almost impossible to overtake. I mean, there is a couple places where you can do it, but it's getting tougher to do it now with the way the cars are getting tougher and tougher to drive and that things now are in, you know, the driver's hands more than they ever have been for the last several years uh, with the rear wheel guards and now obviously the roll hoop being reduced as opposed to the air scoop. But uh, ultimately still a big event, and you're going to see guys uh, going all out trying to try to win this race as opposed to some of the other races on the counter. It's not to say that, you know, Texas isn't a big deal or some of these other events on the schedule, Pocono, et cetera, and obviously Indianapolis, but uh, – Long Beach with its history. I mean, this is a race that dates back to the mid-70s, when it used to be a Formula 5000 and a Formula 1 event, and uh, it's still a big deal for a lot of nostalgic fans. Maybe not so for, you know, the new breed of fans that Mark Miles will try to bring in, but uh, nostalgic folks uh, still view this as a big event. Oh, absolutely, and I still think that Long Beach is one of the greatest races that we've got outside of the Indianapolis 500. We're talking with Tyson Lautzeiger on pitroad.com and our official IndyCar contributor, uh, Matthew Embry from at Popular Open Wheel. Hey, you know, uh, talking about our favorite, one of our favorite Canadians, Tyson, James Hinchcliffe. I'm a huge fan of his. I'm a personal fan of his. I've had a chance to meet him uh, multiple times. He's been on the show before. I remember interviewing him in Indianapolis when he was in the IndyCar Light Series with Pippa Man. So uh, I've seen uh, the what I like to consider probably the ambassador of IndyCar really grow up and and just kind of grow up in this race. And I, you know, he, now they've got him featured in in, in uh, uh, Honda commercials, which is great. I really enjoyed the um, uh, press conference, if you will, if you want to call it that, where he scuba dived into an aquarium and did a press conference. Uh, from the aquarium. What are your thoughts about James Hinchcliffe being the ambassador, being the face of the new IndyCar? Well, I have to say, I'm going to have to look at that press conference because I haven't seen it. But Hinch really is a, an ambassador for IndyCar, and he, he does a great job of bringing fans in. And whether that's fans from Canada or, or American fans he, that he also really appeals to, he has a great social media presence. Uh, he and Rossi do this great podcast, which 
the way that they're the only IndyCar drivers that are doing a podcast, and it's a great way to interest fans in that respect. And, you know, you have to back it up with the, the driving chops. And this season, uh, with, with Honda doing so well and Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, they seem to have really had a resurgence. I think it helps having uh, Hinch having a driver that he can lean on in um, in Wickens. He didn't quite have that with Elotion. And now he kind of has that with someone that he knows so well. Uh, it's really helped Schmidt-Peterson get a lot better. And, and we're going to Long Beach, the, the track that Hinch won at last year. So uh, James Hinchcliffe really is doing a great job being a, being an ambassador for the sport. And I think this this season has the potential to be one of his best seasons yet. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, he's made his second home here in Indianapolis. And, and uh, I know he just loves this city, and we love having him here. Let's talk a little bit about some of the fast cars in practice, Tyson, down in uh, Long Beach. And we've got three Americans at the top, Alexander Rossi, Ryan Hunter-Ray, Joseph Newgarden, uh, Soto, Sato, Soto. I always mess that name up, and I shouldn't, but I do. Uh, of course, he, cra- he crashed out. Scott Dixon, Will Power, James Tinscliffe, Graham Rahal, Sebastian Bourdais and Simon Padijan all round out your top ten fastest in practice two yesterday in Long Beach. Yeah, the, there's a lot of really fast cars, and if you look at the top of the list, a lot of those fastest cars are, Hon- are Hondas. excuse me. And if you look at the combined practice sheets, you got Scott Dixon right at the top. And Dixon, uh, he's had a kind of a strange start to the year where he's um, kind of he hasn't performed as well throughout the race, and then at the end of the race, you, you find him at the top of a close to the top of the pylon. He finished fourth at at phoenix and it's like how did you end up getting to that position because he really wasn't uh, running all that well throughout the race um but dixon he has the potential to have a really good race weekend this is the type of track that he likes and and now that honda uh is running so well and and hopefully he his chip ganassi racing team they can uh figure out what they need to get him towards the front because i think dixon he's going to be a guy that these drivers have to watch out for this weekend Matt, Lee Duffy is back at an IndyCar in the booth for IndyCar. What are your thoughts? Uh, Lee Duffy's pretty decent. Uh, maybe not the excitement, uh, some of the great nostalgic ones, but uh, decent for the sport. I know there's been a lot of criticism that he's maybe not a guy that people want to see, you know, right the broadcast of the Indy 500. But uh, compared to some of the other options out there, I'd say he's manageable at this point. Of course, I think the big draw for the NBCSN broadcast is having, uh, you know, the battles of the booth between Paul Tracy and uh, Townsend Bell, uh, the polar opposite one, uh, the controlled Townsend Bell against the always aggressive Paul Tracy. I think that's the thing that gets the fans excited about the NBCSN broadcast, uh, more so than Lee Diffie. Matt, let's talk a little bit about Long Beach. Uh, let's get your preview of Long Beach. Uh, what are the stables to look for? What do the drivers have to do? What are the challenges to win down in Long Beach? Because as you mentioned, it's, it's kind of hard to overtake. So uh, a lot of times, if you could get out there in that pole position or be in that top three, uh, is, is probably where you're going to see your winner from and most likely uh, no, no further back than the top five at Long Beach. Can Schmidt-Peterson finally seal the deal? I think... <laughs> Excuse me. I think Wickens and Hitchcliffe both have a chance. I think Wickens is the bigger threat. Uh, Andretti Autosport, can they back up the practice numbers? Uh, Rossi and Hunter Ray have both had very good starts this season. And then uh, Team Penske, are they just a one-trick pony? Were they able to get victories in short ovals or something like that? If that's the case, then they're not going to be competitive the rest of the year. And then obviously Dale Coyne, they were dealt a huge blow. 
Excuse me. At, You'll uh, be all right there, Phoenix buddy. <laughs> with, uh, you know, what happened to Bourdais at the start and then Pietro Filippoli crashing. So it was a costly weekend for them. The question is, could they bounce back and not just prove that they are just, you know, one of the happy stories, but they are indeed a contender that could actually win races on a consistent basis. Maybe not so much like the Pesky and the Andretti's or Ganassi's, but a team that still can challenge for a championship. Tyson, we're less than one month away or right around one month away from seeing cars on the track here in Indianapolis at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'll be there, and Matt will be there, uh, as we are every year. Uh, But one of the great things I think that we'll see this year, uh, Tyson, is I think we'll see the return of of a true bump day. And uh, Matt and I have talked about this before, uh, but, uh, you know, the the bump is going to come from one of the two females, and it's not going to be Danica Patrick. It's going to be hard for Pippa Man to get into this race. It, it may be, but I think uh, with the experience that Pippa Man has built up over the past few years, as, as long as Dale Coin Racing prepares a good car for her, I think she can get in the field. Um, I think Pippa Man is a very talented driver, and we're going to have a lot of young guys that don't have a lot of experience uh, at Indianapolis trying to make the field. We'll have Kyle Kaiser out there, and I really don't think this Funko's racing team is uh, quite up to par yet. Uh, they might struggle to, to get him in the field. Um, we don't know exactly how Pietro Fittipaldi is going to fare on these uh, uh, on the, the big oval. I think he, he could potentially uh, be pretty good, especially considering he did have speed at, at Phoenix before he crashed out. I don't think we can count out uh, Pippa Man yet. I think she... Um, if she and if she can get in the race, she does typically uh, perform well enough to get a, a top twenty, top twenty-five finish. Um, so it might be a challenge for Pippa Man looking ahead to Indianapolis, but I think she should be okay in order uh, to get in the race. As you look at Long Beach this weekend, uh, you know Matt gave us his preview. What is your preview? What is your outlook for uh, the uh, Long Beach race? Uh, I mean, do we have the top five uh, drivers that, that in practice yesterday that you think will be kind of where it lands in qualifications and 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 uh, where we're in on the starting grid? What are your thoughts? I'm thinking we're looking at, at really a Honda race. I think this uh, we're seeing Honda is much better than Chevy right now. And I think if Chevy is going to get up there, it's going to be with guys like uh, Simon Pagano and Joseph Newgarden that are just so good on these street courses. It's going to take a little bit of strategy for the Chevys to to land uh, near the top of the grid, at least as far as the race goes. But I think those Hondas, you look at Scott Dixon, uh, Alexander Rossi, who's off to a really strong start to the season, and then those uh, Schmidt-Peterson boys really strong. So I think uh, Chevy's going to be in for a handful this weekend. Matt, we've seen the new IndyCar 2018 uh, Aero Kit or IndyCar, if, if you will, in a few races now. It looks like the drivers are getting adjusted to it, but to me it looks like uh, teams are still having challenges getting adjusted to the new Aero Kit in 2018. Well, it's a lighter car. Now, that's one thing. I mean, it doesn't have the same weight uh and obviously, without the rear wheel guards, the weight in the back is a little bit different. So balancing the car is going to be obviously a lot more difficult. And uh, I think you'll see it more so at Indianapolis, where I think 230 as opposed to 232 is probably going to be the maximum they're going to be able to reach a qualifying trim. But uh, ultimately, I think uh, it's door the driver's hands down. I think the drivers want it that way. And 
if the drivers want it that way and they think that could produce a good show, I think that's the way right now because I think the issues the last few years have been the drivers have been unhappy with some of the changes being made, and that's made it uncomfortable and dangerous. And now I think the drivers are starting to take more of a liking to what they are doing right now. So give kudos, you know, to Derek Walker and all them that are making the positive adjustments in that part of the equation. And I think uh, with the drivers' things, uh, no major uh, knock so far against Kyle Novak. And I think the having the conglomerate of Max Pappas, Dan Davis, and Ari Leindijk in that uh, race stewards booth also has improved things. So I think things can't be better at this point. Uh, Obviously, you're going to have new car issues, whatever the case is, but compared to when they had the new aero kits, we had issues with those right off of the get-go with too many pieces being strewn all over the track. Uh, things are going a lot better with this car than they have with some of the other uh, innovations uh, since this Delara has evolved uh, since its debut in 2012. You know, uh, we're always out at the track, and we know how excited that we see the fans get when, when we hear a new track record. Of course, that's not really how it sounds anymore with Dave Claverell, but nonetheless, uh, we hear a new track record, or we hear 230. Uh, the thing about it is I'm, I'm excited to see speeds at 230, uh, 235, but at some point, at some point, I, I think too fast is too fast. And we were out there last year, and we saw Sebastian Bourdais take that nasty wreck uh, out there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We obviously ended up put, putting him out for the entire season. He's making a great comeback this year. But I think at some point, and we've seen a lot of really bad wrecks out there at, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I, I'm sure that there's bad wrecks in other tracks as well. But the thing about it is uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway <coughs> – if you go too far fast around those corners, it's very, very easy between the drafting of the corners to get airborne. And we see a lot of more and more. We've seen more and more airborne cars, as we saw last year in, as, as Scott Dixon uh, barely uh, missed going over the catch fence and into the tunnel. We could be having a very different conversation about him this, uh, today if that had happened. At some point, at some point, uh, Matthew, don't you think uh, there's a point where it's too fast? I think we right now are at the maximum right now. I think don't think really the drivers want to go that faster. I mean, that's why they run, They don't run the boost pressure in qualified that they run in race trip. I mean, that's part of the reason. That's providing a little bit of excitement for the fans that qualified and they towed it down just a little bit for racing. Uh, all I can say to it right now is obviously uh, Texas, I think, is getting a little bit excessive. Indianapolis is a big enough track where I don't think it's that big of an issue, even though, yeah, we had the airborne crashes. Drivers are walking away and are escaping these serious injuries like we saw, you know, in 92 when Nelson P.K. broke both of his legs, uh, Jeff Andretti broke both of his legs. That year, practically everybody at these speeds was crashing and they were getting hurt in some way. And that's not happening with this situation nearly as much. So that's obviously an improvement in the safety aspects uh, and the safety cell of the car. So, yeah, I, th I, I don't think they need to go any faster than they currently are going right now. I don't think we need to be running, you know, 240, 250. But I'd say 230 is a safe situation right now. And as long as, you know, you don't have a situation where guys are – you know, getting knocked out, uh, having trouble seeing because of the G-loads. As long as those issues on the driver are limited, uh, 2.30 I think is fine right now. It's just uh, trying to go faster than that just in order to get, you know, a back page headline like a new track record or one and four lap track record. That's where I think it's getting a little bit excessive. 
Uh, we'll, we'll get, about, about time to wrap it up and put a bow on the IndyCar segment. But, uh, Tyson, let's get your thoughts on the new IndyCar Aero Kit t- 2018, if you will. As Matthew stated, it's a lot lighter. They could go a lot faster, but do we really need them to? Yeah, I think we're we're at a point, like Matthew said, that we don't really need to uh, increase the speed much more. Because, for one thing, I, I mean, you want to limit the possibility of injuries for sure. And then you also think high speeds don't necessarily make for great racing. We don't need to be going in excessive speeds to enjoy the event and enjoy the racing. So I think, um, you know, we're at that maxed out point right now where we need to just cut off. We don't need to go quicker than this. However, uh, the new Aero Kit, I think, is producing really good racing at this point. So I think uh, IndyCar has hit the nail on the head with this one. They're doing a good job. Uh, they've set up a good car for this, uh, this season. Tyson, you think you'll be able to make it to Indianapolis this year? God, I wish. That would be amazing, but I, I don't think so this year, <laughs> but I will for sure be at Toronto for the IndyCar race. All right, absolutely. Well, real quickly, uh, and, and Tyson, I know you got your schedule going on, but you're more than welcome to stick around a little bit for the uh, NASCAR segment. But real quickly, get your thoughts. Uh, short track action down in Martinsville this weekend. Well, we're we're at Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend, but we've got a, a great. Uh, I said I said Martinsville. I'm sorry. I I meant to say Bristol. I, right. I don't know. My brain is fried. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm you sorry. got a great uh, race weekend coming up, and I just want to say um, one of the things I'm looking forward to doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the racing this weekend, but uh, DJ Kennington, a Canadian boy, running a, a really uh, cool paint scheme uh, for the Humboldt Broncos. He's got their logo on the hood of his car, so really great to see a Canadian paying tribute to uh, other Canadians lost. He has a, a lot of connections to Western Canada. A lot of his sponsors are from that area of the country, so it's great to see him paying tribute this weekend. Yes, and indeed, um, our condolences go out to that uh, team. That's a huge tragedy to endure, and I know that Canadian uh, fans are very, very close uh, to their to their organization. So, yeah, thank you for uh, uh, bringing that up. Uh, where can people find your work in your masterpieces, Matt? Uh, I think the big thing on my mind, uh, obviously, with the you know race this weekend is obviously qualifying. Could someone possibly uh, throw a, a wrench in the apple car? And there's one guy you didn't mention, uh, Will Power, that certainly is capable of doing that. So if there is a Chevrolet driver that could win uh, based on all-out pace, uh, that's the only guy I can think of being able to do it. But, uh, you know, we've seen stranger things happen. I remember watching uh, from 10 years ago the last champ car race and standing start he was fourth on the grid and by the time he reached turn one he jumped the first and then ran away with the race so it doesn't take much if will power has an opportunity he could still do it but ultimately though just like tyson said i think you got to go with the hondas as being the favorites to win this weekend absolutely okay uh matt you have yourself a good race weekend we'll catch up with you again next week uh tyson where can people find your work in masterpieces sir yeah, you can always uh, follow me on Twitter at TysonLock23. Uh, follow at uh, OnPitRoad on Twitter. And then you can also go to OnPitRoad.com to check out anything that we've got working up uh, on the website there. We appreciate you joining us, and you have yourself a great race. Are, are you going to stay around for uh, NASCAR talk, or you got to go? I, I do have to head off, so uh, hopefully uh, NASCAR talk goes well with you guys, and looking forward to the race this weekend. Both of the races right, Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Ty- Tyson Lautenschlager uh, normally uh, joins us and talks some NASCAR with us, but because of schedule stuff he had uh, going on today, uh, he jumped on the IndyCar segment with us. And Matthew Embry of that popular open wheel now uh, jumped on talking Long Beach today. We'll be right back talking NASCAR, jumping into our NASCAR segment with our official NASCAR contributor, Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest. The boys are in Bristol, not Martinsville, but we'll get it right, I promise. My name is Tom Mark with Sal Presidente. We'll be right back. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Pork Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com... Welcome back to the balance half hour in the books. Taking Matthew Embry of Popular Open Wheel now uh, and Tyson of OnPitRoad.com joining us to talk a little IndyCar down in Southern Cali, Long Beach. A lot going on down there. Certainly a lot of action to, to, to talk about uh, with IndyCar. But time to move on to the uh, Monster Energy Cup Series and the Xfinity uh, Series uh, NASCAR talk with our official NASCAR contributor, Mr. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. How is you, sir? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Fantastic. You know, I had a brain fart, and I don't know why. I said the the boys were in uh, Martinsville, but they are in Bristol. So, uh, hey, uh, we know they're racing somewhere. Talk with us a little bit about this weekend's race action. 
well, you know, it, it's a high bank, half mile bull ring out there in the mountains of Tennessee. I mean, it's, you know, pretty much just like Martinsville, except for it's high bank. Um, you know, you're, every time you go there, it puts on quite a show. And they uh, put on, you know, the bumping and banging, the, the, the chrome horn. the You know, it, it's just good old-fashioned NASCAR. And, you know, it's one of these weekends that many drivers have an opportunity that in the last few weeks or so, if they've been wronged and... Uh, they can get a little bit of payback this weekend there. Um, you know, it's uh, one of those tracks that we traditionally see a little bit of payback from time to time, uh, like we have at Martinsville. But, hey, you know, don't get too much payback this weekend because they go to another short track just, just uh, the next weekend. Um, in my, you know, right outside of my hometown here near Richmond, Virginia. So, um, you know, you got to be careful on what you do. At Bristol this weekend, but, uh, you know, a lot of stuff already going on. NASCAR Cup Series qualifying yesterday, and uh, Xfinity Series qualifying about to roll off here in just a few minutes for today's Fitz uh, uh, 300. You know, one of the things that I had noticed with NASCAR, as opposed to different other series, obviously we follow a lot of series here at The Balance, uh, I noticed NASCAR always likes their tires cold. Uh, you know, F1 warms their tires, NHRA does burnouts to make them stick a little bit better. Uh, of course, IndyCar has different ways of doing their tires. I know NASCAR wants everybody on the same playing, uh, playing field with Goodyear, but is there a theory behind why they like their tires cold? Well, they start the tires a little bit cold, um, more traditional than you see in other series is because they take the air pressures down in these tires. And by doing so, it, it gives them the, the tread width on the tires itself uh, get more grip. There's more surface to surface of the, the tread to the surface <clears throat> of the, the track itself. And by starting cold, it, it keeps that, you know, more tacky feeling um, and, and better grip to the track. Is once those things get hot, once they get warmed up, they slip, they slide around, they get, you know, very greasy. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, there's all kinds of theories and, you know, why every driver likes it one way or the other. But, yeah, the colder you can keep those tires. And, you know, that's another thing why we use nitrogen, too in the tires uh, a lot of people don't realize that these tires just aren't filled with normal air like you go to your gas station or you know whatever and pump into your tires at home they use nitrogen in these tires and the nitrogen into the tires also helps cool the tires down but also is less susceptible to environmental um you know aspects such as moisture and um other you know different Air, um, aerosols and things like that that you could potentially get. So, you know, that that's, you know, another trick that they employ with these tires. You know, it's something that we've used for more than 20, 30 years in, in this series. And, uh, you know, it, it's all advantage gaining, and they've found ways and reasons to, to use nitrogen versus, you know, just standard air. And, uh, you know, it it, it, it you know, yeah, I mean, everything is, you know, everything is just an advantage, you know, any way that you can find an advantage over one 
product of the car over somebody else. And, you know, everybody, once it starts, one person does it, everybody else starts doing it. And now it just has become the standard in NASCAR. You know, I like the stage racing that they do. It's real exciting that that they race to the end. What I don't like, and maybe you can, again, shed your expertise on this, what I don't like, what's really exciting, race to the end. Then they throw a caution. It basically stops the race for 10 minutes. What was an exciting moment in the race is, uh, you know, quickly de- deflated, and I think it just causes fans to go, what the? And then just maybe change the channel or something like that. What are your thoughts? Why do they do that? Well, you know, they're – the, the the reasoning and the theory behind this was is that when the stage racing began like that was, you know, these cautions would be employed throughout different parts of, you know, the race. Um, somewhere, you know, get, breaking this thing up in the first half and, you know, two, two, two quarters and then basically the rest of the race, you know, is the rest of the half of the race. Um, and they did this because they wanted TV partners to, to have an opportunity to get commercials in and, you know, show more green flag racing. But I don't think that has been necessarily so. Um, we've not – I mean, there's there's a constant complaint each and every weekend by the TV partners and how many commercials that they show, how many things that they're still missing, not only on pit road, but passes not only for the lead – but quality passes that are happening mid-pack, and, you know, some of these are, you know, some people think, well, why should we be showing quality passes in the mid-pack? Well, you know, sometimes, you know, racing isn't always at the front of the field, you know, and two leaders, you know, trying to go at it for, you know, the win. Um, There's a lot of passing. There's a lot of racing that occurs in the middle of these fields. And, you know, a lot of these things are still continuously being missed. And, you know, I'm I'm personally not in favor of throwing these caution flags. Um, I feel that if <clears throat> excuse me if if they want these drivers to battle, if they want these drivers to you know go seek something out like extra points in a race, playoff points for later in the year that could potentially carry carry them from one round to the next. I don't think necessarily a caution flag you know is is particularly needed. I I think that you know they pick these race they pick the stages like today's races like um, the 85, 85 and 130 you know making up 300 laps today around Bristol. I I'm just gonna use that as an example. I, I think it'd be better if they just took and picked these points in the race, assigned and gave you know the points out, doled the points out as they currently do. But just not put it under caution because you know that we've seen times that you know there's a lot of there's a lot of on track action and the flow of the race slows down to a snail's pace and then you may not pick that back up for you know another thirty forty fifty laps and then by that time um, it, it's time for another stage break. Um, so I, I I do. I, I I think that, you know, I think that, you know, we can still give points out for certain points in the race. I think that we can do these types of things. I just don't think that the caution is is always necessary in the fact. And the other thing that I, I have to say about this is we've seen where NASCAR and this is, you know, they've, they've, they've tried to hurry up um, cleaning up from accidents, you know, there'll be a caution that comes out right at the end of the stage, four or five laps out, 
they go out, they try and hurry this thing up, they put it back under, you know, green flag conditions for one lap to finish out the stage. And I honestly don't think that that does anything to help the racing. Um, it just is more frustration factor because it's like, you know, if you're just going to go race one lap, a lot of these drivers end up getting into accidents anyways, <clears throat> and we still have a problem. So I, I don't think the cautions are necessary. I think the stage, you know, the stage points, I think we can still do something there. I think there's a lot of opportunities there. I just don't think the cautions are, you know, necessary. Talking with Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor from Speedway Digest. Uh, uh, Steve, let's talk a little bit about, certainly uh, we know that the field is being qualified right now for the Xfinity race, but talk with us a little bit about the Xfinity race today in Bristol. Well, today is the Dash for Cash, the first Dash for Cash out there. There's $100,000 online for a couple of different drivers. Um, uh, Elliot Sadler, uh, Ryan Priest. And um, Justin Allgaier uh, will go for $100,000 later on this afternoon. There are no Cup Series drivers in this race. They are barred in Dash for Cash races, so you will not see any. No Kyle Busch today, no Kevin Harvick, no Kyle Larson, nobody from the Cup Series will be in today's event. So this is an opportunity for 30-plus drivers to go out there and to show what they can do on a stage of their own. And these drivers, like I said, uh, will we'll go for 100. There's a couple drivers that are going to go for $100,000 uh, later today. Um, so the other thing with today's event is is that over the last couple of days, Bristol Motor Speedway has, again, put the grease or, you know, whatever they want to call it, the TVV. THI, you know, whatever they want to call that <laughs> stuff at the bottom groove. Um, it's changed names a couple times. I think it's now VH1 or, I'm sorry, VHT or something, I think is the newest VH1. one. Uh, but anyhow, uh, yeah, VH1, yeah, yeah, you know, you talk about oldie <laughs> stuff now. <laughs> yeah, so we've gone through the track over the last couple of days and put this compound down to, you know, open up another groove, a groove and a half or so. Uh, and hopefully we're going to see a lot of side-by-side racing. But, you know, the best Bristol is always the Bristol where somebody has to bump and run and get around you because, you know, that always makes for an exciting race. Is this the race where the cup drivers will be, uh, like, do, being pit reporters and being in the booth and, and, like, basically taking over the broadcast? No, they're, they're going to do that at Talladega in just a couple of weeks, oh, in about two weeks from now. Okay, great. That's always exciting yep. and always fun uh, uh, to, to watch as well. Well, certainly we, we've got a, a Bristol is known for the big one. And a lot of times we can say it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Talk with us a little bit about the history of the big one at Bristol. And really, it's something that the fans, that's one of the reasons why the fans buy a ticket to Bristol. Yeah, so, you know, you, you do have a lot of um... – Incidents around Bristol over the years, and you know some of these become, become what I like to call explosive events, where there's drivers that are just inherently mad at one another and and collect up a half a you know dozen other cars because this is close con- contact racing here. It's a half mile on a on a um, hot bank racetrack. Everybody's with 
so close with one another. And, I mean, lapping begins anywhere from a handful of laps up to about seven to ten laps into the event. And we'll also see that again tomorrow. So, you know, when these cars start mingling up together and it just becomes a, uh, a conveyor belt of cars around this half mile, uh, you know, there there is that factor for, you know, as the race goes on, the tempers start to rise. And this will, you know, eventually, as as we've seen in the past, we'll see some of these, uh, you know, incidents like that where we'll collect two, three, four, five cars, uh, especially if it's, you know, at the top of the track and they're sliding down to the lower groove. So, you know, got to be mindful of that throughout the day. Everybody tries to race. What I feel is clean as possible, but you know when you when you're in these close quarter contact races like this, it, it's inevitable inevitable that something will happen at some point. Exactly. So I, you know, I'd love to see the big win. I don't want to see anybody hurt, but I'd love to see the big win. And I love to see the passion between the, the the drivers. And you know, a lot of people say, you know, they they forget it next week. As you mentioned, they they don't. And a lot of these drivers hold grudges and and you know a lot of times it, it, it expands outside of the car we've seen uh fights break out there on pit row and all kinds of different things that we can see so who knows what we'll see this weekend but one of the great things that we will see steve we'll see some great racing at bristol walk us through uh the bristol motor speedway uh and what can we look for tomorrow uh obviously as far as uh, uh standings go we, we've got kyle bush joey logano brian blaney kevin harvick and uh, Martin Truex Jr., Clint Boyer, Brad Koloski, Kurt Busch, and Denny Hamlin. And rounding out the top ten is Kyle Larson. What are your thoughts, sir? So tomorrow afternoon, you've got Kyle Busch starting on the pole, Kurt Busch starting on the outside pole, and it's always an exciting race when those two, one of them is sitting on the pole or one of them has contending for the win. Since 2002, both of them have a combined 11 wins uh, at Bristol Motor Speedway. So, you know, in fact, Kurt Busch, uh, in in a stretch from 2003 to 2004, won three of these events consecutively, you know, one after the other. And, you know, his brother has filed suit right behind him. Kurt Busch, five wins. Kyle Busch, six wins. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be a very interesting day, as I stated a little bit before. Uh, you you can expect a lapping to start occurring within the first handful or so of laps, um, but we've seen it as late as about seven to ten laps into the event. It, these are very fast cars, about 14 seconds or so. We'll take the time to, to go around this half-mile track there in Bristol. And, you know, we've, we've got one of the largest fields in the last couple of weeks. 39 cars are entered tomorrow. Uh, we've been running about 37 cars or so for the last couple of weeks all the way to the West Coast and since they've come back from the West Coast. But there's a lot of cars in the event tomorrow, so it'll make some for some very close quarter contact racing. Unfortunately, um, you know, a couple of people already up into the wall yesterday during practice and qualifying. A.J. Allmendinger got up into the wall. He is not going to go to a backup car. The car, uh, the team did decide that they were just going to go ahead and repair the car. However, uh, Kevin Harvick, uh, two weeks in a row, he's going to have to come from the end of the field, and uh, he will start dead last, 39th, after going to a backup car and then not taking time there um, yesterday afternoon and qualifying. Um, you know, for him, 
he he's it's going to be very imperative for him that in the first few laps that he starts passing a lot of cars because Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch will be coming like, you know, somebody with a rocket engine, and it won't take very much time to get up to the back of that field. Um, but, you know, last week we did see um, Kevin Harvick, um, you know, go from back all the way to the front, lead a bunch of laps, of course, some penalties and some cycling throughs, got him, you know, back in the field. He ended up second at the end of the day. But I, I don't, you know, look for him throughout the day to continue uh, to make his way up through the field. So there's a lot of action that will be going on tomorrow afternoon in the Food City 500, and uh, it'll be um, fun to watch, that's for sure. Does NASCAR have this issue that uh, fixed or resolved that they had going into the 2018 season, and that's with the new rule with the new air jack or jackhammer, whatever you want to call it, certainly caused a lot of problems on pit row. We've also saw some issues on pit row with too many men over the wall for whatever reason. We've seen the wrong man touching the cars. There's a lot of changes that have affected, I think, the performance of the pit crew. Is NASCAR getting those issues resolved? Um, you know, the, 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 the new, uh, air gun that's used for the, by the tire changes this year are, you know, in previous years, teams have, uh, they've, they've had the opportunity to go to Ingersoll Rand and several other vendors, but, you know, Ingersoll Rand was, uh, pretty much the primary supplier to these. And then these teams would customize these guns down that, you know, were starting to get up into the five figures. So, you know, the teams did ask, you know, we need to start controlling this in some way. So in NASCAR's response, they started issuing out uh, standardized guns, um, but they decided to not go with, um, they decided not to go with, you know, Ingersoll Rand. They ended up going with an Italian company, um, and forgive me, I don't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, and, and we've seen even the first race of the season at Daytona, there were a lot of issues. Um, there's uh, been several other issues week in and week out, sporadically. Las Vegas, there were problems. There were problems at Auto Club Speedway. Problems, <clears throat> problems at Atlanta. Um, problems last week. And these problems, you know, have, um, you know, continue to exhibit themselves. Um, some teams are, you know, and drivers have, you know, called the guns out because, you know, they've been at the back end of this pit, uh, issues with these pit guns. Um, you know, uh, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, both of them have made comments to that. Um, you know, you would hope that at some point that they get these things fixed because the teams have to lease them for $900 on the weekend per gun. So, I mean, you know, there is a fair amount of investment that has to go into these guns throughout the year. And uh, for teams to, um, <clears throat> you know, um, you know, put that kind of money out each and every weekend, it, um, yeah, I mean, it does cost a fair amount of money. So hopefully at some point they do get this fixed. No, I was just asking what's your other point that I, I, I remember the air gun portion, but you had asked. Oh, another no, I, I, I was just I saying we, we're seeing penalties with too many men over the wall. We're seeing penalties with the wrong man touching the tire, the wrong man touching the back of the car. Uh, just the the actions, uh, the punitive actions that are piling up on pit crew uh, members. 
really just because they're they're trying to have a successful pit stop. I mean, I, I don't see that they're doing anything uh, malicious to have a competitive advantage or anything. It's just, hey, we're in the moment, you know, a tire's a, a running away. we gotta, we got to catch the tire, so I mean, a man jumps over the wall, too many men over the wall, a uh, guy trying to catch his balance, touches the, the back of the car, he's the wrong person to touch, they're, they're positioned wrong. It just seems like they, they – that one of those scenarios in life where said if it was not broke, don't fix it. I don't know that pit road was ever broke, and and now they're limited to how many pit members that that they can bring with them, uh, they can travel with them. Uh, it just seems like uh, uh, to, um, NASCAR created a cluster bomb, if you will, that didn't need to be created. But maybe I'm wrong. Well, some of these, you know, were in the effort to cut costs and safety concerns by taking that extra ban off a of pit road, you know, that's another 30 plus people that are not going across the wall that could potentially have an issue. And in that aspect, you know, I'm kind of there sitting on the fence. Um, I don't see where, you know, it's changed a whole lot of, you know, way that the pit stop works. Sure. We've seen pit stops uh, increase in time. Last year we were seeing, uh, you know, sub 12 seconds, <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got something going on today. Um, sub twelve <laughs> second uh, pit stops, and this year, you know, where the norm is more like fourteen seconds by that extra man being taken off of you know pit road and going across the wall. You know, this new Hawkeye system, though, the Hawkeye system was really initially developed to you know track these cars coming down pit road, making sure that they're pitting in the box correctly, and those types of things. But, you know, as they've continued to build on this Hawkeye system, they're able to catch some of these judgment calls that in the past, uh, you know, there would be an official on pit road and there would be official watching over pit stop. And now we don't have as many officials. We now have this Hawkeye system. <clears throat> and this thing is fairly indiscriminate at this point that, you know, it, it, it doesn't it, – it has no – it is pretty biased in the fact that you know it's it's indiscriminate on the things that it pulls and it things that it does pick out. Um, but you know there are still human interventionists in this in the trailer that do you know check these things over. And um, you know I do think you know it, it has you know changed the aspect of how you know some of these driver I mean how some of these pit crews work because you know you're you're right I think we we saw last weekend somebody re- reaching for a uh, for a uh, tire they fell over the wall and it drew a penalty but then you know there was another incident with Kevin Harvick where you know a, a crewman you know potentially there was an issue with the tire rolling away and somebody wind grabbed the tire, but there was no penalty call on that. So, you know, there are still, um, you know, still some of those things involved, but, you know, those things are, are being caught more frequently than they were in the past. Um, and I just think, you know, with all of this and the technology that NASCAR is employing, NASCAR is just employing these things to, uh, you know, try and make the sport better in, in aspects. But, you know, as far as, again, these, uh, these pit crew members not coming over the wall, um, First was the safety, and second is the aspect of the cost. You know, some of these crew members were actually being paid in the high seven, uh, sorry, high six figures, and you know, things like that. You know, they, you know, that that that's one more person on the team that you know being uh, costing the team a lot of money. And you know, we're in an era where we have a little bit of a downturn uh, in in sponsorship, and this is a um, 
you know, a way to try and get um, some costs under control, just as with how many, you know, crew and how many team members they're bringing to the track too. I mean, you know, some of the larger teams were bringing dozens upon dozens of people to the track and, you know, that's a lot of logistical costs, uh, airfare, hotels, car rentals, per diems, um, salaries, you know, all the things that come into play into this. And, you know, we were looking for other ways to cut costs and that was a way to cut costs and make it fair to everybody that everybody can only bring the same amount of people. They can only, um, you know, you know, put the same amount of people over the wall. So, you know, in fairness, you know, there, there's ways to make sure it's, it's fair across the board, cuts costs and is a safety value at the same time. We've been talking with Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, about ready to put a, a, a bow on it and get ready for Bristol this weekend. You know, one of the things that we see in other uh, series, we were just talking earlier uh, in the show about IndyCar. We have a lot of foreign drivers in the IndyCar circuit. We don't see that so much in uh, NASCAR, but we do see a driver that's really trying to make a name, trying to push through, and that's uh, Ruben Garcia Jr. with Rev Racing. Does he uh, make a breakout this weekend in Bristol? I think that, you know, when, when these drivers come to Bristol, that they have an opportunity. Well, uh, let's just back up here just real quick. You know, not just coming to Bristol, but when they get to run these companion races like this, and this is one of the times during the year that they get to do this, and so and all these car owners are there, these these Cup Series drivers are there, all the people that could further their career are there in one spot. You know, we don't have a sport where we have scouts like the NFL or MLB or anything like that, that go and watches these people all the time. And that's just their job. Um, you know, a lot of this comes through word of mouth. This comes through somebody else knowing somebody. Uh, this comes from a cup series driver or a car owner that saw a race that they were at and they were impressed by somebody and they decided to give them a chance. So this is the opportunity for a lot of these young drivers in the Can-Am series, not just Ruben Garcia, but, you know, all the other drivers at the same time to be out in front of some of the stars of the sport and the car owners that could give them that opportunity to further their career. So, yes, I do think this is their, this is an opportunity just not for him, but for a lot of other drivers in the field at the same time, because this is a feeder series and we've seen a lot of feeders come through, you know, uh, William Byron, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, all these drivers have come through. Kyle Larson, another rev racing driver that won the championship and is now with Chip Ganassi Racing. So, yes, you know, you, you have these opportunities, and you're in front of the biggest stage in the world when all these cup drivers and these car owners stand on top of the hauler, and they do regularly and watch these races. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up and put a bow on it. Who wins this weekend in Bristol? Uh, I got Kyle Busch this weekend, so I think he will probably do good, do well. It's hard to root against the Bush brothers in Bristol, that's for sure. But I'm going to lay my money down for number 11. Denny Hamlin gets the win. Uh, Steve Wilson, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You can follow it at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com, forward slash Speedway Digest, excuse me, and SpeedwayDigest.com. All right, buddy, you have yourself a good uh, race weekend, and we'll talk with you soon. Thanks. Take care.
Steve Wilson, uh, our official NASCAR contributor, uh, editor and publisher of SpeedwayDigest.com. Check it out for real-time NASCAR coverage. The boys are out in Bristol. My name's Tom Marquisell, Presidente. I'll be right back with Rick Reagan, all-around good guy. we got some stuff to break down today. Stand by. Just I know that the color red, the blue. Ooh, shit! I'm a dangerous man with some money in my pocket. Keep up! So many pretty girls around me and they're waking up the rocket. Keep up! Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marcus, President. Hey, one hour in the books. 
Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor uh, from at Popular Open Wheel Now, and Tyson Lautenschlager, our favorite Canadian colonist from up in Toronto area, uh, talking IndyCar with us. Also, Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, uh, editor and publisher of Speedway Digest, joins us talking to NASCAR, the Monster Energy Series, the boys down in Bristol. This weekend, going, certainly going to see a lot of action down in Bristol. But joining us now is uh, Rick Riggin, uh, part of the balance team all around. Good guy, calling us from Evansville, Indiana. How is you, sir? Hey, good morning. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? You know what? I am doing good for a rainy Saturday morning. They say uh, April showers bring May flowers, but I don't like <laughs> flowers. So I mean, no, I'm just kidding. I love flowers. Who doesn't like well, you'll flowers? Well, you have to. Do. You'll have to excuse me this morning. Uh, I did some karaoke in last night, if that's even a word. But I did some karaoke, and you know, my voice just isn't quite with me this morning yet. What did you sing last night? That's what I didn't sing would be the short list. But uh, you know, I did some <laughs> uh, Shine Down. I did a uh, Wicked Game by him. Uh, so Uh-oh. it was a good time. I did like three or four songs. Hey, break us down some wicked game acapella style. Oh no, there's no way I'm doing that this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like I have the blues, but uh, yeah, I'm perfectly fine. <laughs> was this a, was this an Ambets uh, event? Oh no, this is just uh, you know, going out with my wife and you know, and a friend and just hanging out. So no, nope, night out I on the you. town. You know how I like how I like to do things. <laughs> You're one wild and crazy child, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we haven't, we haven't talked a lot about the AMVETS here recently uh, since football season is over, but I know you're a big part of the AMVETS. Talk with us a little bit about what's going on with the AMVETS and how people can be a part of the AMVETS. Well, it's easy to get an AMVETS membership. Uh, the cool thing about it is you, to be an AMVET, yes, you have to be a veteran, but you don't have to be a veteran to be a member of AMVETS. Uh, if you have a family member, you, you know, you're related to a veteran or, you know, son, daughter, brother, mother, father, whatever you are, uh, here in Indiana anyway, it's really easy to do. You can just go online, amvetsin.org, or find your local AMVETS post and, you know, get signed up. It's 30 bucks a year, so it's easy to do, and that money goes towards all kinds of programs helping out our veterans. You know, this is not a, a political show by any stretch of the imagination, but one of the things that people, I think, fail to realize is the importance of our American military and what, and what they go through and the, and the challenges they go through. And we're certainly seeing uh, some situations here recently in the last 24 hours that our troops stepped up and on the world stage and, you know, really took care of business that needed to be done in this particular scenario needed to be done. But what does AMVETS do for active duty personnel? Uh, this month and, and, you know, every month, but we are really uh, uh, been active in the uh, suicide prevention. Uh, you know, there, you can go visit, uh, visit uh You can go to amvets.com uh, if you want. Anything that uh, you need help with, PTSD, uh, you know, it, but we have been really, really heavy on the uh, suicide prevent, prevention uh, you know, there's always help out there, people to get a hold of, call, talk to, uh, get the help that you need. 
Certainly, AMVETS, uh, go check them out and be a part of it. Uh, probably one of the best organizations, one of the best things that you can ever uh, invest your time and uh, money into. Rick Rickett uh, joins us. Let's talk a little bit. We're going to get off subject a little bit here. And, and Sometimes it seems that politics and our society and our world and sports collide and everybody loses their marbles over nothing. And what I'm referring to is a recent broadcast that has gone viral of one comment that was said by Kevin Durant at the with Oklahoma City Thunder. I don't have the audio clip. I didn't get it downloaded like I wanted to. But basically, here's what happened. Uh, Kevin Durant made a crazy basket. And in the excitement, the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder uh, announcer says, Kevin Durant has lost his cotton pick in mind. And social media, accuse social media to go crazy and lose your freaking and marble. People will Are you that? kidding me? Are you kidding oh, me? Oh wow! I uh, have you seen this? Have you seen the story that's going on with it? I haven't. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that at all. But it does just fall in line with everybody's just way too butthurt over anything anymore. You cannot say nothing without somebody being offended. Or you know, or a whole group of people being upset—it's crazy. I mean, that's that's just an old school term for Absolutely. you know, so, something being crazy or just whatever. It has nothing to do with racism or slavery, or is it the fact that uh, you know, Kevin Grant's African American. Nothing to do with that. So, I, gosh, I wish people would just not turn every little thing it said, and you know, it, into something that. That's racist when it's it's completely not, and it wasn't even meant in that way. No, absolutely not. It's it's an old saying. I I don't think we hear a lot of young people saying it anymore. But I remember my grandpa used to say it all the time, and I think it's just a way to keep you from cussing. And <laughs> you know, and, you right? Know, yeah, I, my dad says, says that still. I've heard my dad say that. You know. You know? <laughs> So, so the thing about it is people just need to stop losing their mind and, and realize that everybody isn't out to get out, everybody, and everybody is, is not racist. And it's a sensitive subject. I understand that because, you know, it's just the world that, that we live in. But it just cracks me up when we see these stories go crazy. Also, did you hear about what happened with uh, Colin Kaepernick and the Seattle Seahawks? Seattle Seahawks said, hey, we'll take an interest in you. And, you know, here's the thing. Uh, Seattle's a pretty progressive liberal side of, of the fence. Pete Carroll's been open to saying, hey, I support uh, the, the free speech and openness of our players. But when asked, will you continue the protest, Colin Kaepernick, enjoying his attention that he's getting, says, absolutely. Well, what did that do? Seattle Seahawks said, well, thank you, but no thank you. Thoughts? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll ask football season with me you and ed uh it, that really goes back to what we kind of just talked about and what we were saying anyway is uh, we just feel like the off-field problems there outweigh the talent so if he really was the sought after a superstar talented quarterback then i think teams would overlook the fact that kneeling to the national anthem but you know his talent isn't good enough for them to want to have to deal with that baggage that comes along with him being on the team so they're just going to you know, pass by on him, and that's going to be, that's, this is, you know, the, uh, uh, lost the words I was wanting to say, this is just going to be the telltale of his entire career, this is just going to haunt him, you know, the rest of, basically, because he could have been, you know, he was 
pretty good quarterback, went to the Super Bowl. They lost against the Ravens, you know, with the Niners under Jim Harbaugh. He could have been great. Yeah, I think he's a very talented guy, but it's just like we were saying, the uh, the off-field, the off-the-field problems outweigh the talent. Absolutely. And so, you know, hey, here's the thing. You know, I've got a job in, in corporate America, whatever. I can't just go in and say, hey, uh, say whatever I want. I just can't just say whatever I want just because I can say it. Uh, you can't you you can't work for McDonald's and be a vegan and and they say to you, hey, uh, I want a I want a quarter pound cheeseburger and and you say to the customer, I think we'd rather have a salad. You don't want to eat a murdered cow, do you? You can't say that. That person wouldn't last very long at McDonald's. I'm just saying. Right. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good hypothetical. <laughs> I'm just saying you can't go to your job and do it and say anything. You've got a job. Uh, if you if you if you walk into work and just decide that you want to say something with no consideration to anybody else's feelings, don't you think somebody would be having to sit down with you? Oh yeah, you definitely got to watch what you say and do, and you know you don't want to tell somebody they can't have a quarter pounder. Because you know maybe they're overweight and you can't tell them things. You should probably eat a salad instead. You're probably gonna lose a lot of business that way. It's not a good business practice. <laughs> okay, so we got to talk about this. This is probably one of the most challenging sports out there. And this this happened Saturday last Saturday at a ski resort in Maine. Forty-four competing couples put their relationship and muscles to the test. Spouse-carrying races is going on in Maine. It's a real thing. It's catching on. Very well might be the next um, Olympic event. Now, when you watch this and you look at this, you think, oh, okay, uh, uh, husbands carrying little petite little wives. Okay, this is cute. No, what you see is you see big women carrying little men. You see little men carrying big women. You see all kinds of things that maybe your eyes want to unsee. I'm telling you, I think that you and your wife need to get into this competition. I think you guys could win it. <laughs> is it like a – is it a – what, I carry your piggyback? Is, is that how it's done? Yeah, it, yeah. it's like you can carry, carry her on your shoulders or you can carry her piggyback, but yes. That's how it's done. Okay, yeah, that well, won't sound too bad then. They, I wouldn't wish her to try to carry me by any means. But <laughs> <laughs> you should see some of these people. And I understand. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying anything about anybody's body types. But I can tell you one thing: some of these women are carrying their husbands, and uh, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to bet against them in a fight. That's for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Couples face heavy competition in bizarre sport of wife and spouse uh, carrying. So check it out. You can Google it uh, uh, and uh, check it out. Let's get over to our NFL uh, mock draft talk as we continue to think about things to talk about and rearrange things and move things around right now. As it stands right now, the Indianapolis Colts stay at six. There's a lot of talk and a lot of chatter going on and who the, who the Cleveland Cavaliers will pick up in the first round. Let's, let's kind of just talk about some of the recent mock drafts. Now, do you think that the Browns will shake things up at all 
uh, with the Josh Allen and uh, uh, Darnelson in their first pick. <laughs> I feel like the Browns are going to do what they could just continue to do and not uh, really go after what they need. They just go after the uh, the superstar name that's out there. So I, I just think they're going to not shake things up. I think they're I don't even know if Josh Allen's the type of quarterback they're looking for because I don't even know if they know what type of quarterback they're looking for. But I, I think they'll stick with Sam Darnold at one and Saquon Barkley at four. Do you think the release of Des Bryant yesterday from the Dallas Cowboys is going to change uh, some people's draft strategies? It, it definitely could if you know teams are looking for a receiver. Uh, this is not a strong receiver class in the draft this year. But t- teams are wanting to go receiver. Uh, now they could try to get Des Bryant, and they can go a different direction in the draft. So yeah, it definitely could change them a strategy for the first round, anyway. But for a lot of teams, I know I was talking with you and Ed off off uh, Mike uh, about this very situation, and well, I said, you know, I I don't know that I want him here in Indianapolis, but I wouldn't mind him. He'd be a band aid. Uh, he's 29 years old, so maybe he's more than a Band-Aid. But I can't see the Indianapolis Colts doing more than a one-year utility with this guy at $3 million. Now, a lot of people say he'll get more than $3 million. A lot of people say he can get 7 to $10 million in a three- to five-year deal somewhere. What are your thoughts on that? I think for him it's going to have to be a uh, – I don't know if it, has, if it has to be a winning team right off the bat, but maybe a, a, a pretty established team. With the Colts rebuilding with, you know, Frank Reich, and he's trying to get his own players and personnel in place and get his system and his, his way of doing things installed. I don't know if a guy like Dez Bryant would really work in Indianapolis right now because Dez is a really outspoken guy. So, we know, we, we've seen all the off the field, on the sideline stuff, and I just don't know if that's going to be, you know, I, I think Dez will probably be all right in Indianapolis, but I just don't know if the Colts want to go that route. Who do you think then? Where, where does Dez land up at? Obviously, there's going to be a team that picks him up, and there's going to be a team that's going to pay him. And you know, I, he, he's, he's at the end of his his uh, career, if you will. Uh, maybe not at the end. That's maybe that's not the right word to, to use. But he is certainly coming to the. He's on the on the back end of his prime, as opposed to the front end of his prime. Uh, where do you think he lands? Well, the only we talked about this last year because we thought the Patriots dynasty was over because I, I feel like it is. But the only way to keep that together is to take up a guy like Des Bryant for uh, Tom Brady and put – now they got Jordan Matthews, Chris Hogan, Julian Edelman. If they had Des Bryant and Rob Gronkowski, had some offensive weapons now for Tom Brady. Uh, I think the Patriots, to me, seems like the most likely place. Uh, to land Des Bryant, and they just got rid of rid of Brandon Cooks. They just traded him away. I'm not sure what they got for him, but they don't have him no more. Now they need a big time receiver. They might just go after Des. Do you think that the Broncos will make a deal with the Giants at two? Well, if if they do not believe in Trevor Simeon or Paxton Lynch, I I, I believe they're going to have to. But I, I think they're still going to get those guys one or two more seasons yet before they go quarterback. So I, I just think that I don't think they'll make that deal. What are the chances that uh, Buffalo comes to talking to the Colts and uh, we, uh, we, we uh, trade back even more so from six? 
Uh, I say maybe pretty good because you see what the Rams are doing in you know with the in the all season with free agents and everything. I think the the Bills are trying the exact same like strategy, but with draft picks instead of free agents. Buffalo's putting together a team up there. I don't know. I'm not even quite sure now where uh, where they picked or somewhere around 2021 20, because they had the 21st and 22nd pick. And they, you know, they're back-to-back. So I don't know which one they traded or they traded both. But they're putting together a team up there trying to get a lot of young talent in. Uh, it, it's really likely. Uh, even for me, you know, Tom, I'm not really a Colts guy, but I don't want to see the Colts drop back anymore. I want to see the Colts be successful being here in Indiana. I don't want to see them keep dropping down because now they have a chance to, you know, pick up one of their needs like an offensive line or, you know, a uh, defensive tackle or something. Well, we don't know that Quentin Nelson will even be there at six. We don't know that Barkley will be there at six. We don't know that Chubb will be there at six. But I certainly would think that one of the three of those likely would be still there at six. Yeah, definitely. And I, I hate to see the Colts trade away uh, – I'm not sure a deal, you know, what type of deal Colts would get for, uh, you know, the sixth overall pick, but I hate to see them fall farther back in the draft, and then all of a sudden, you know, some of the guys are one aren't available anymore. They keep dropping down. Neither one of those three will, will be there by the time they pick. Well, you know, and he, he, here's the thing. I, I I know a lot of people disagree with me. Uh, you might be one of those. Although your Lions will probably end up picking up a running back in their first round pick uh, with the kid from LSU. But I say if Shaquan Barkley is available at six, we pick him up all day, every day, twice on Sunday. Yeah, I agree. And uh, man, why would you not? It'd be dumb to if some team just passed him by. You know, I know teams are going after quarterbacks. Uh, but after quarterback, you know, first, second, or, or third pick of the draft, you know, whoever picks four, which is Cleveland, uh, Saquon Barkley is going to be the next guy taken after the quarterback. What if Cleveland shocks the world and say, hey, we want Saquon Barkley at number one? Well, then uh, <laughs> that means they're probably going to be uh, – putting in a little more money and time and uh, everything into Tyrod Taylor, who they got from the Bills. You know, the Bills, I don't know who they have for quarterback now because they released Tyrod Taylor and Cleveland picked him up. So whoever the Browns are going to go after, it's probably going to be sitting for a year because I just – I don't see it. You know, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, these are pretty good quarterbacks, great quarterbacks out of college. I just don't see them beating a guy like Tyrod Taylor have a starting job, you know, in the first season. I think the Browns pick up Barkley. I really do, but I don't think it's going to be until four. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's exactly what I think. I think you're going Darnold one and then Barkley four. So we'll go with the the logic here that Darnold will go number one overall, obviously quarterback from USC to the Cleveland Browns. Now let's ask the – Burning question that I think every Browns fan wants to know. Is Donaldson our savior? Is he our Messiah? I say no. Of course not. Obviously, that's why they're, they're stacking up the drafts and spending money. But he's certainly a key, key piece for them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the answer is also no. And I just go back to uh, what Notre Dame did to uh, Sam Darnold against USC in this past season, beating them 42-14. I mean, Notre Dame's 
pretty good defense. They weren't an elite defense, but they were a really good defense last year. And uh, USC had nothing for them. Darnold had nothing for that that defense. Struggled all game long. And like I said, you know, they lose 42-14 to the Irish last year. I mean, what's it going to be like in the NFL? Playing on the Browns with no offensive line. Now Joel Thomas has retired. You know, they need O-line help too. They they need help at every position. And I just don't know if they even know what their strategy is for the draft because every year it's a swing and a miss. So at this point, and with that history in Cleveland, I say no, Sam Darnold is nowhere near the uh, the savior. You talk about uh, Joe Thomas. You know, Joe Thomas is certainly a, a, a well-respected figure in Cleveland uh, and a mentor there in Cleveland. I remember a few weeks ago, Johnny Manziel said, Cleveland just really didn't care too much about me. They really didn't do much to bring me along. They didn't teach me much about the X's and O's. Yet he lived with Joe Thomas. I, I don't buy that theory at all. I think it's time for Johnny Menzel to, to man up. Now, hopefully the Browns can, can learn from their mistakes and, and move forward. Now, let's, uh, let's uh, think also that, that, the, that the Giants might be talking to the Broncos. That means that they, they are pretty solid right now with the decision of keeping Eli Manning. So Eli Manning, they may not worry about a quarterback in the draft situation for another couple of years. So they might be looking at somebody different. Now, if they don't trade back to the Broncos, which is a logical thinking that people think they might, and they stay at two, and they're happy with the quarterback situation, your guy from Notre Dame, Quentin Nelson, there he goes, boom, number two. Yep, I agree. And, you know, one thing with with the Giants, I I don't think this will be the year they go after a quarterback, but they seriously need to start thinking about it soon because I think Eli is done. Uh, You know, they had a pretty crappy head coach last year. And he, he even got benched for five minutes, and then social media took over, and all of a sudden he started again because, you know, you can't bench a Manning. You know, so he he's on the back end of the career. He's maybe got another year or two left. I, I'm with you. I think they wait a couple of years so they go quarterback. But if you like one of these quarterbacks now and you're the Newark Giants, go ahead and pick one because give, give this, you know, young quarterback a year or two to sit behind Eli – Great football mind, great quarterback for you know to learn from. You have a golden opportunity now to uh, start working on your future. So if they like any of these quarterbacks now, they should take one. They might even wait well, to go round two or three, pick up, pick up Lamar Jackson or Baker Mayfield. Maybe that's the plan. It might be very well. Might be. We'll see what the Giants have have in mind. We know one thing that the Jets. The only reason they traded up to three with the Colts was to get. A quarterback, the most logical quarterback for them is Josh Rosen, 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 however you say his last name, uh, 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 for the Jets, the number three. Rosen, okay, Josh Rosen, certainly quarterback out of UCLA. You can also say he's the the Rosen one. Boom, boom. Get get you a rim (laughs) shot. That's not me. That's that's college football coverage, coverage I see on TV. You know, that, that comeback win they had against Texas A&M last year, US, UCLA, they came back from like almost 40 points down and came back and won. It wasn't the chosen one now. You know, Josh Rosen was the Rosen one. The Rosen one. You know, uh, I, I know you got to go here in just a second, but we talked a little bit about Barkley uh, being picked up in the number four slot with uh, the Browns, which makes sense. But let's throw a, a monkey in the wrench, if you will, and let's say, hey, the, the Browns go with Bradley Chubb defensive end out of North Carolina State. The Broncos are at number five. 
and they pick up Shaquan Barkley, and uh, uh, the Bills do some finagling with us, and they uh, pick up Josh Allen. Uh, Monkey's in the wrench there, but what are your thoughts? Uh, that's uh, that's a pretty big uh, monkey in the wrench. <laughs> Uh, what are the Bills picking at right now? Do you know what, what, what position they traded up to? I don't know. I don't have it up in front of me. Uh, me either. We're pretty good sports guys here. You know, we should we should have this down pat. Yeah. <laughs> All this trading around <laughs> and everything. I think there's some around eighth or ninth. Uh, so you're saying the Bills are going to go up to five? <laughs> I'm saying I don't know. What okay. I'm saying is they can make a deal with the, I'm saying they can make a deal with the Colts uh and uh move up to six and go go with the quarterback. But joining us now also is Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, how are you, sir? Uh good guys. Thanks for having me. Talking a little uh, NFL draft. Uh, Rick, I are you, you gotta go? You have a hard stop, you wanna stick around? Yeah, I gotta go here. I I gotta go here in a minute. All right, well, give us your final thought. Wrap a bow up on it for us, uh, uh, Rick. Uh, the NFL draft, what say you? The scenario I've seen is, you know, with the uh, the Bears picking seventh. I think they're picking seventh right behind the Colts. It's maybe Quentin Nelson falls down to uh, to seven. If it, the Bears pick up Quentin Nelson and then Nelson is reunited with the Notre Dame, you know, the old Notre Dame line coach that he's had his entire career, Harry Highstand. So that would be a great scenario for Quentin Nelson. But i like to see him kind of just stay here in Indianapolis. I think the, the Colts really need him maybe a little more than Saquon Barkley because if you don't have a guy on a line that can block, then why pick up a running back? So uh, to me, that makes more sense than picking up Barkley or Chubb. But like I said, Tom, you know me. I'm not really a Colts guy. I'm a Lions fan. So what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where can people find your work in your masterpieces, sir? Uh, on Twitter at Rick and underscore Rick and uh, twelve versus five dot com. You know, I just wrote an article uh, about how uh, Major League Baseball opening day just isn't celebrated like it used to be, and trying to figure out why that is. Because it's freaking cold. It's not supposed to be cold in baseball season. It's warm. <laughs> yeah, because I just right, think buddy, football. Yeah. You know, like we're talking today, April. It's April. You know, and uh, we're talking football. Talking NFL drafts. I think football dominates everything. So. You know, that probably has something to do with it. All right, buddy. Have yourself a good weekend. We'll talk with you soon. All right. Thank you. You too. See you later, Mo. Didn't get to talk to you, but hi and bye. (laughs) (laughs) Mo, it's just us chickens uh, here at the the crazy farm, if you will. Mo, I want to get your thoughts because I want to talk a little bit NBA with you. We can circle back around if we've got time on the NFL draft. But uh, certainly uh, playoffs are starting in the NBA, so we want to get your thoughts. But before we do that, uh, you may have uh, seen – I think I shared it with you. But uh, you may have seen uh, this viral people losing their marbles. And I'm referring to the Oklahoma City Thunder broadcaster guy talking about Kevin Durant making a crazy basket. And he says, Kevin Durant has lost his cotton pick in mind. And cue social media to lose their marbles. Are you freaking kidding me? Go ahead, sir. Well, I, it was actually Russell Westbrook he was talking about. And uh, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The uh, I, I think that yeah, it's probably something that shouldn't have been said, but it's something that you know a lot of people 
said growing up, their grandparents said. It, uh, in today's uh, world of social media, and, and you got to watch everything you say. Uh, I understand it. They suspended him for one game. Uh, you know, a lot of people were calling for him to be fired. He wasn't. So I, I think that uh, you know what they did. It was probably the right thing to spend it for a game and then make the story make the story go away. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just the unfortunate thing that uh, we're so ultra sensitive. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I certainly think and feel racism is a very very bad thing in our country, and and it is out of shape. I really do truly believe that. But at the same time, everything and everything that's said becomes a story. Uh, it just—I mean—that's just a saying that people say, and maybe and to avoid uh, cursing, if you will. So, yeah, you're right. The story needs to go away. Uh, thoughts on Colin uh, Ka- Kaepernick being denied from the Seattle Seahawks? You know, we were talking a little bit in the last segment here that Colin, you know, was being looked at by the Seattle Seahawks as a as a backup QB, obviously there. Uh, Seattle's a very left-winging, liberal-type city. Pete Carroll's been very open about uh, allowing freedom of speech and whatever. But when asked, when Colin Kilpatrick asked, will you continue your protesting, he said yes. The Seattle Seahawks said thanks, but no thanks. And the point being is you can't just go into your job and say and do whatever you want if you are representing that company or, in this case, the team. What are your thoughts on the Seattle Seahawks and Colin Kaepernick Saying, yep, no, thanks, but no thanks. Well, I, you know, a lot of people think that it helps his collusion case. You know, honestly, I think it hurts it because teams have been willing to give him a look, and he's going to stand firm on, on kneeling for the national anthem. It's a story that the NFL wants to go away. I think most of the owners in the NFL of teams and coaches want it to go away. And, uh, you know, he's continuing it. So at some point, he's going to have to look back at himself and put the blame on himself for deciding that that's what he wants to do. And that's fine. That's completely his choice. But, when an NFL team won't employ you because of it, uh, you know, then there, there's an issue. We looked at a lot of teams that wouldn't employ Tim Tebow because they didn't want that kind of circus for their backup quarterback. Uh, you know, we've looked at teams that haven't wanted to give Johnny Manziel a, a second look because they don't want that kind of circus for their backup quarterback. Same thing with Colin Kaepernick. Right. You don't want that kind of circus for your backup quarterback. So I think that's, that's overall what hurts him. Maybe not so much the kneeling, but it, it brings a circus-like uh, atmosphere uh, with him. So teams aren't going to give him a chance to look at him. And here at the end of the day, if I was talking to Colin Patrick, Nick, I would say this to him. Mission accomplished, bro. You got people talking about things. You got people uh, where you, you were noticed. Your protest was noticed. And, and, and there's other ways to do this. And you can continue your protest. You can continue your fight for this cause that you believe in, just not on the field. And I would tell him, mission accomplished. If you want to play football, put your pads on, play football. Deal with the national anthem, and let's go play football. Let's talk about the NBA playoffs. Certainly, you know, we're going to start right here in our backyard in the Indiana Pacers. If we would have asked this six months ago, the Indiana Pacers be playing uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers in round one, uh, we would be saying, no, not this year. Man, oh, man, oh, man. You talk about playing on house money. The Indiana Pacers are doing that, and I think – you know, I, I don't think I, I wish that I could sit here and say that I honestly believe that the Indiana Pacers could beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in round one. But I do think they can they can pull off a couple wins at home here in Indianapolis. And I think that'll give them a lot of push because they haven't been getting a lot of uh, looks uh, on the national stage. Let's just let's just face it. They haven't been. But they do play the Cleveland Cavaliers. Lance Stevenson. And LeBron James, maybe there'll be another ear blowing uh, uh, scene, if you will. But in all seriousness. The Indiana Pacers have earned a right to play in round one 
of the playoffs? Well, you got a, a team in Indiana that's three and one this year against the Cavs. Uh, you know, you got a team that plays a very up tempo offense, which the Cavs, with their poorest defense, could have some issues with. Um, you know, I think for the Pacers, it comes down to who's going to spend most of the time guarding uh, LeBron James. Uh, they're going to start, start out with uh, uh, Bogdanovich uh, guarding LeBron, but you don't want to put a guy like Victor Oladipo on LeBron and have him work so hard on, on defense that he's tired out on offense. Uh, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, even with a, a bad defensive Cleveland team, uh, you've got to beat LeBron James in a seven-game series, and that's just almost impossible to do. The thing that I think the Cavs have going for him, this is the first time uh, in in LeBron's all of his years in Cleveland that he's had this deep of a bench. You know, the, the Cavaliers actually have guys who can come off the bench and play, uh, and guys like Rodney Hood and Larry Nance Jr. and a couple of their rookies. So I think that plays uh, into the strength for the Cavaliers this time. Uh, you know, I think that helps with some of their deficiencies because they do have uh, a decent bench, and LeBron hasn't had that in all of his years in Cleveland. So I think the Pacers can keep getting some games close. I think they can win probably a game. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, you know, LeBron James is so much to deal with. That being said, they were 3-1 against this Cavaliers team this year. Does this go seven games, or does this end in five or six? Uh, I think it ends – I don't think it goes seven, no. Don't think so. Well, I think see. that, uh, again, you know, LeBron's so so damn strong and so damn tough, and this has been, you know, statistically one of the best years of his career at his age, and he's played in every game this year. So I think that LeBron's on a roll, and it's going to be a tough uh, a tough train to stop. I agree. I, I mean, the Pacers are certainly, again, playing on house money that only goes so far. But, the, you know, it's great. It's a great story. It's a great feel-good story. Certainly great. And, and hopefully it'll get them some uh, national attention and, and put some momentum going in uh, to next year. Certainly they got some very solid pieces in place. And we don't know that LeBron will even be with Cleveland next year. Uh, but certainly, you know, he doesn't get beat in the first round at all, if ever. Uh, but I think if there's a team that could do it, uh, the Pacers have the talent to do it, but I just think at the end of the day, they'll end up getting gassed. Let's talk a little bit about the Milwaukee Bucks and the Celtics. The Celtics, I thought, were on that train to win the East. And if you had asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said they could have won the East and could uh, eliminate the Cleveland Cavaliers, but they have just had a train wreck and a train fire. I would not even be surprised if the Bucks uh, uh, pull out a round one uh, win with the, with the playoffs. Well, I mean, you know, the Bucks are a fun young team, but, you know, what's left there in Boston right now is also a very good young team uh, with a good coach in Brad Stevens. So if you're going to put young players up against young players, uh, you know, I, I think Boston can escape uh, this first-round matchup. You know, Milwaukee hasn't played great uh, these last few weeks. They got uh, just destroyed the other night uh, by the 76ers. Uh, I feel like Boston in the first round, I don't think they make it much further than that, but you know, when you put the coaches up against each other, I do like Brad Stevens a lot more. And, and again, Boston is very, very talented, uh, you know, with their younger players as well. So I'm going to think Boston makes it through the first round, but I think they, they don't make it much further than that. So we've been told to trust the process with the 76ers. Here they are, round one against the Miami Heat. Uh, trusting the process, uh, does it get them to round two? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Joel Embiid, unless a miracle happens, is going to miss game one but he should be back for game two. Uh, you got a guy in Ben Simmons uh, who has just been phenomenal this year. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, experience on the bench and Ilya Sova, J.J. Redick. Uh, you know, and you got a team that went from a 10-win team two years ago to winning 50-plus games this year. You know, they're a very tough team because they can do a lot of things good. They can play good defense. They can guard the rim. They can shoot the three. 
Uh, the one thing you have to look at is both of their point guards uh, can't shoot the three very well, but they can make things happen. So it's a team that does a lot of things very, very well. Uh, so it, it's going to be a tough out for anybody, uh, I think, uh, in the Eastern Conference. Well, absolutely. And so are, 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 we to, are we to think that it's going to come down to uh, – who, who do we think is going to pull out the, the, the win in the East to, to go and represent in the uh, uh, NBA Finals? Do we, do we believe it's still going to be the Cavaliers? I mean, I think how LeBron's been there, what, eight straight years? How do you say that he's not? You know, Toronto, for them, this is a year where they've finally got to put up or shut up. They've they've turned into the early years Peyton Manning Colts, so they're a great regular season team, but they fall flat on their face in the playoffs. So this Cleveland or this uh, Toronto team, I think, has finally got to step up and say, hey, look, we're here and this is who we are. But, again, it, you know, you talk about beating LeBron James, unless there's a freak injury, I don't think there's any team in the East that can beat LeBron James, you know, four games in a seven-game series. I just – I don't. I think, you know, he's too focused, he's too good, and he's too much to deal with for a, uh, a team to do that four times in a seven-game series. So, I think, yeah, look at the history. There's no way I put my money against anybody else other than LeBron James. Talking to Mo for the BS Sports Show, let's move out west. You know, I said uh, a few weeks ago, and, and I certainly still believe this, that uh, the Spurs got on some late-season momentum – the Spurs could beat the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs. It's going to take everything they got, but if they do, that's going to upset the West in a major way. Well, the problem, though, that I think is without uh, without Kawhi Leonard, you know, there's not enough defense on the San Antonio Spurs uh, to uh, to guard everybody on the uh, on the Golden State Warriors. So I think that's maybe they can pick them off a game or two. But I think that uh, defensively, without uh, you know one of the best defensive players in the league. That uh, you know that just that that doesn't stand up for a, a seven game series. The Golden State, <clears throat> excuse me, is so good they share the ball so well, but they don't have a very deep bench. But that being said, without uh, you know one of the best defensive players in the league, it, it's a hard team to stop. You know the Wizards got the Raptors, and I think a lot of people say that the Toronto Raptors is the redheaded stepchild of the NBA. Maybe that's because it's in Canada. They've got some good players. That foreign guy, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his name, not going to try, but he certainly comes off the bench and is be able to do some points for them. Does the Toronto Raptors finally have what it takes to get past round one in the playoffs? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think you know, the, you're know you looking at a team that uh, can do some damage in the playoffs, but you know the Wizards aren't your typical eight seed. You know They played a, a majority of the season without uh, John Wall, their best player. Uh, they're definitely a team that can shoot the basketball and score a bunch of points in a hurry. Uh, you know, Toronto relies so much uh, on, on guys like Kyle Lowry and, and DeMar DeRozan that, you know, it, we saw last year where in a, in a series those guys went cold and, you know, that was it for the Raptors. So when you rely that much on uh, two guys to do a majority of your scoring, they've got to be on. And, and can they perform in the playoffs this year? That's what I think the big question will be for Toronto. Couple three uh, more game ones this weekend: the Pelicans and the Trailblazers, the Timberwolves and the Rockets. Certainly, keep your eyes on the Rockets there. Uh, the Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Even if they don't lose, they're cotton pick in mind. <laughs> what are your thoughts on game ones across the NBA? Well, I think one of the most interesting ones is the uh, the Jazz and the Thunder. You know, the uh, you've got Russell Westbrook who who tried to share the ball probably a little too much to get uh, Carmelo and, and Paul George involved early on. Uh, and then went back to playing the Russell Westbrook that he was last year. 
uh, you know, the, the team that played well, but nobody's been higher than the Utah Jazz since the All-Star break, and it's a team that a lot of people thought would be a, a lottery team after uh, a lot of their guys, including Gordon Hayward, moving on. So uh, they're definitely a fun team to watch. That's one of the series probably I'm looking forward to most. Uh, Rockets-Timberwolves, you know, Timberwolves eked into the playoffs. They they slid down the stretch. Uh, obviously, they had lost Jimmy Butler. Uh, I don't think that one stays close. Uh, Portland's a fun team. Not a lot of people talk about uh, nationally as well, just like the Pacers, because they play in Portland. So they're a, they're a fun team. I think a lot of people are going to be exposed to them maybe for the first time this season. And it's fun uh, to watch that, that course, C.J. McCollum and, and Damian Lillard. You know, I remember a, uh, a few months ago when we were talking about a new Pacers coach and uh, Larry Bird keeping on Nate McMillan, and you said, you, Larry Bird, have lost your cotton-picket mind. <laughs> but now... But now, oh, how the tables turn. Conversations are being had that Nate McMillan can get coach of the year, even above Toronto's coach, Utah's coach. Those are the the three that people are talking about. Nate McMillan, coach of the year, yes or no, true or false? False. Uh, Here's why. Because, you yeah, you know, guys, Dwayne Casey's done a good job in Toronto. Uh, Quinn Sanders done well in Utah. But how do you look and not award it to a guy like uh, Brant Brown in, in Philadelphia, 10 wins two years ago? And now you're the third seed in the playoffs. I think, uh, you know, above all else, and especially with all the injuries they've dealt with with their first-round picks, not even playing usually their first year, I think to me he's probably the coach of the year. Granted, Damian Mills done a great job, uh, but I, I think if you look overall from, you know, a team that was that low to where they are now, I, I think they're, that's got to be coach of the year. Do you still believe that it was a mistake to keep Nate McMillan as the head coach of, of the Indiana Pacers? Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, they, that, that's been proven wrong. He was the wrong coach for Paul George, uh, you know, and I think that that was a mistake. And, and maybe that was the personality conflict, and you had to move one out, and you moved one out, and, and now things are working out. Uh, you know, to me, I still thought a guy like Mark Jackson, uh, who did so well with a, a young team in Golden State, uh, would have been a, a good choice and probably the correct choice. But, you know, obviously before there was, there was a conflict uh, between – your star player and your head coach, that just doesn't work out, and it didn't work out for those guys. But you moved one of those, and, and it, tended, it was a really good year. So, uh, you know, at this point, no, I think Nate Milner is the right guy for this job right now as, as this team stands. So two really big voices in the national media. Uh, Mike Greeny yesterday says three letters, MVP uh, LeBron James. Uh, Cowherd basically says the same thing, but because he never gets off the West Coast, he says Kevin Durant. Uh, of course, there's other people that are talking about James Harden and Anthony Davis and uh, Damian Leonard over there at, at Portland. Uh, but which one of the two big voices have it right, Kevin Durant or LeBron James or neither one of them? I, I think LeBron James is far and away your MVP. You look at uh, at this team so far. You put Kevin Durant on the Cavaliers. I don't think they're in the playoffs. So you've got uh, LeBron James and Golden State, and they're they're a force. So. Uh, you look at what LeBron's done this year, and, and it's gotten better. He's the best year he's had statistically, and that, this doesn't include any of his MVP years. So, you know, I think you look at uh, what LeBron James has done this year, especially with the complete reshuffling of this team, losing, you know, his right-hand guy from last year. Uh, then they move on from Isaiah Thomas, bringing a bunch of uh, of young guys. Uh, I think what LeBron James has done this year is incredible. Nobody's played more minutes than LeBron James. Uh, you know, just the, uh, the amount of uh, triple-doubles he had this year. Uh, on top of it, leading this team to victories when they, they shouldn't have even been in games. Uh, you know, this is a Cleveland team that should have, in all rights, fallen apart this year, and they didn't. 
Uh, Kevin Durant, if you if you put him on this basketball team, yeah, maybe they eke into the playoffs, but they're not uh, they're not a top four seed. And he, I don't think he pushes them to uh, win it. I don't think I think the reason James Harden gets it this year is because people are tired of the LeBron and James story and they want a, a new story and it's, it's James Harden's year. But to me, far and above, this is uh, LeBron James is the MVP of this league. Rookie of the year, a lot of people like Philadelphia's Ben Simmons, uh, Donovan Mitchell over at Utah, and of course Boston's uh, Jason Tatum. I'm sorry. Uh, rookie of the year goes to who? Uh, it goes to Ben Simmons. You know, I was looking at some stats last night uh, with what he's done this year. He's in pretty rarefied air of guys who have averaged what he averages this one year for over their career. There's like nine guys. So I, I think what he did is amazing. I know there's some debate of whether he's technically a rookie or not because it's his second year, but he didn't play. Uh, so, you know, I, I think this is a, a guy in Ben Simmons that's going to be a superstar. Uh, you know, what Mitchell did, has done has been a, pretty amazing, but I, I think the story is Philadelphia, and so that's why it, it's Ben Simmons. I'm talking to Mo from the uh, BS Sports Show. You know, another award that's given out typically, or at least talked about, is the most improved player. I love me some Victor Oladipo in Indiana. Maybe that's because I'm an IU guy. He went to IU. He's back home in Indiana, and he is kicking down gates and fences all around him. Of course, Detroit's uh, Andre Drummond and the La- and the Lakers' uh, Julius uh, Randle. But you got to love yourself some Victor Oladipo. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt that he's the, the most in uh... – <laughs> improved player and I think you know it's by far and away his award uh you got a team uh who's in the playoffs he's led the team he's an all-star this year uh he's fun to watch I think far and away this is uh Victor Oladipo's award there's nobody even close uh, second in my mind well absolutely and I think you know I know I'm a Pacers homer here but certainly I think that we got the better deal on, on the Paul George trade. Let's talk a little bit about Paul George and LeBron James. Do they team up with the Lakers uh, next year, or does one end up at the – they both end up in L.A., but they end up with different L.A. teams? Uh, I think there's no way that either one of them wind up with the Clippers. Uh, I, I think LeBron James realizes that, you know, he's he, he's not one of those guys that needs to move to a major market to become a brand. He's already a, obviously a brand in his own right. I think the Eastern Conference – uh, he realizes it's the easiest way to the uh, finals each and every year. Uh, you know, I think if LeBron does leave uh, Cleveland, I think it's for Philadelphia. Uh, his management company is the uh, is the agent for uh, for Ben Simmons, and those guys have reportedly become pretty close. I, I think I just think LeBron realizes if you know the West is so clogged that if he's going to uh, he's going to continue to make the finals every year and have another run that uh, he's either staying in Cleveland and they make a move uh, for another guy to go play along with him, or he wants him in Philadelphia. I don't think he wants him in L.A. Paul George, I mean, that's been, uh, you know, the thought is that that's where he wants to go. But what do you have to remove from the Lakers to uh, to bring in a guy like Paul George? So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, his better chance probably to, to win a championship, if that's what he's about, is in Oklahoma City. But for the Paul George brand, his better sh- uh, spot is probably in Los Angeles. I know you said you could only stay for a limited amount of time. Uh, we're, we weren't going to probably do the balance extra anyway today because Rick had to go. But if you got a few more minutes, I'd like to talk some NFL draft with you. Do you have some time or not? Sure, yeah, i got a couple minutes. Yeah, so one of the things that I want to talk about is obviously the Browns are going to own the first round. There's just no, no ifs, ands, buts about it. Just how they – how they position the drafts and what they do will affect other teams. So one of the things that, that we look at here is, okay, so does – Cleveland draft Josh Allen and not Dar- Darnelson. Do they pick up? Uh, do they pick up Barkley in four? 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Browns' position and what they do and what they should do. As we know, logically speaking, the Browns don't always do the most logical thing, but certainly Darnelson won't be their savior, won't be their messiah. But if they do well, they could they could possibly be a, a rare team that can get a top-notch player in, in every one of their first-round picks. Darnelson, Chubb, Barkley, they, there's a lot of things they could do. What are your thoughts on the Browns? Well, if I'm the Browns, you know, from looking at what everybody's written, that Josh Allen has probably the most upside but is the most raw. You, you brought in a guy like Tyrod Taylor, so why not draft Josh Allen if that's the guy that you really think has the most pro prospect, you know, and you, you, you nurture him along and let Tyrod Taylor play. Uh, when it comes to the, the four pick, I mean, Saquon Barkley's an exciting guy, but you, you just signed to Carlos Hyde from the 49ers uh, to a pretty significant deal. So I think at that point, with the retirement of Joe Thomas, you look at uh, Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame, or you look at Bradley Chubb to team him up uh, with your first-round pick from last year. So, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley is a pick I know a lot of people will want, but with Carlos Hyde, uh, the signing there, I just don't see Barkley being that, that uh, selection at four. And the Browns have, love trading down and collecting more picks, so there's always a chance that they, they take a very high price for one of those quarterback-hungry teams to move into that four slot. So that's a, a big possibility as well. So you look at the Giants at a strong number two slot. Now, uh, people think that, that they might want to get a quarterback to get ready for the uh, leaving of Eli Manning in the next few years. But maybe they're thinking uh, we are okay with our quarterback situation right now. Uh, and maybe they trade, trade back with Denver, for example, who really does need a quarterback. Or, or they go ahead and pick up Quentin Nelson, uh, the guard from Notre Dame, and uh, that pushes him off the, the level for us. And, then, of course, we know that uh, probably the Jets will go, will go with Rawson, and that goes back to number four. So do the Browns at number four pick up Bradley Chubb or, or Barkley? You know, we don't know. Uh, Chacon Barkley, uh, maybe with the Broncos, uh, if, if the Broncos end up with a number five pick. Here's what's interesting. And the Bills are projected, or at least the rumor is, are, are going to trade with the Colts uh, which we have the number six at the moment. Andrew Luck still has not picked up a football, uh, but uh, they they might move into the uh, sixth slot. This is what uh, uh, Rick and I were talking about when you jumped on, and that's uh, Josh Allen. Uh, they might pick Josh Allen there, and that'll move us all the way back to 12. That would put us getting a receiver, uh, probably Calvin Ridley. The Colts have not been in this good of a situation as far as the draft goes. Now, I know that we've, we've got a lot of stuff that we could pick up in the other rounds that we did with the trades, but do we really want to tra- trade back for a wide receiver? I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, I think that would be an asinine move on the behalf of the Colts because there's so many things you need. The team was terrible last year. You've got so many holes to fill. You've got a chance to fill number six with all these people, one quarterback hungry, all these quarterback hungry teams, that there's going to be a premier player there at number six when you draft. Uh, you know, I think if you move back again, you find yourself with a top four or five pick again next year. Uh, I think that would be a terrible move. You've got, You've accumulated second-round picks, and, you know, a lot of times those guys uh, can be good players, can be starters even uh, at a lesser price. But you've got a chance with the the teams jockeying for these quarterbacks to have a premier player fall into your lap. Uh, You know, and so you're able to trade back, collect some assets, and you still have a chance to draft a premier player. I think that that would be an asinine move on the part of the Indianapolis Colts at this point. But, uh, you know, again, this year, the the trade with the Jets is fine. Uh, You know, you, you did what you did, and, 
Uh, I think it, it was a good move because you picked up some assets. You weren't obviously trying to draft a quarterback at this point. Uh, so I, I think that was a good move. I just I haven't been impressed with a lot of the moves of Chris Ballard yet where Jim Irsay promised uh, us a, a savior in Chris Ballard. I, I haven't seen it. So uh, Colts moving back with Buffalo. I mean, unless they're taking a King's ransom of at least a couple number one picks. I mean, the love of God, we gave up a number one pick for Trent freaking Richardson. You know what I mean? So unless you're getting a King's ransom for the number six pick, I say you stay there. You, you, you draft one of these impact players that falls into your lap. You know, uh, I am. Uh, I know we only got a few mo- moments left here. I'm uh, the official, non-official agent of John Gruden, as uh, as we uh, talked about all offseason <laughs> about John Gruden, where, where where he would end up at. Uh, certainly, they've got the number ten pick at, at, at the moment. You know, you really want to make a joke here about the 1998 and how the Raiders would just uh, draft the fastest receiver on the board. Well, that didn't really happen, or take a fullback, uh, but that's kind of a weak joke. So, uh, Raquan Smith. <laughs> Uh, linebacker for Georgia. Uh, John, Gruden, John Gruden is back. What's his first move? How does he make, make uh, the scene? How does he let the world know that he's back? See, and that's that's what's weird because even at 10, you know, with all these, these teams jockeying to pick a quarterback, uh, you could wind up seeing a, a premier player fall there too. But there, he's the one unpredictable thing because who would have thought he would have come in there and cut Janikowski and especially, uh, you know, Marquette King, they're all pro punter. So at this point, what John Gruden's going to do, I think to me, uh, is absolutely, you know, there's, there's no, there's no, nothing in my mind goes, ah, yeah, that's what Gruden's going to do. He's such a, an anomaly to me at this point. Uh, I think that uh, there's no way for me to put my finger on what, what he does. And, and that's, what's kind of fun about it. New England Patriots, we gotta we gotta talk about them because of the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, certainly Tom Brady won a Guapolo gone. That was a win for San Francisco. It was a win, round one win, if you will, for Tom Brady and Robert Kraft. Bill Belichick wins round two. He uh figures out a way to start living life past Tom Brady. Uh, I think a lot of people think this is Tom Brady's last year. A lot of people thought that this is Bill Belichick's last year. But if for no other reason to stub his nose in the in the manure of uh, Tom Brady, he'll stay a couple more years just to see him leave. Thoughts? Well, I think that uh, Belichick making the uh, the trade of Brandon Cook signifies that he's planning on being around for a while. Uh, you know, I, I think that they they do uh, they will look at a quarterback, and I think what would make them look at a quarterback earlier than normal would be if they pick up a guy like a Des Bryant. They have a lot of holes in the in this team. They've had a lot of guys leave. You know, you lose Brandon Cooks, you lose a couple of your running backs, you lose Danny Amendola, you lose uh, your left tackle, you lose a you know a very good cornerback. So they've got holes to fill. You know, let's be honest. So I, I don't think that the Patriots, who are still projected as the favorite to win the Super Bowl next year, uh, you know move up to draft a quarterback unless there's a, a move made with a guy like a Des Bryant where they've had success with uh, cast off, uh, you know, wide receivers in the past. You, you bring in Tom Brady, you bring him in a weapon so that, uh, you know, that uh, pacifies him. And then you draft a guy like, uh, like Jackson by moving up, you know, Bill Belichick thrives in that second, third and fourth round. So that's where he does most of his work. So uh, it would be weird to see him move up, but if, uh, if you can pacify Tom Brady with something, I think there's definitely a shot that they draft a quarterback early on. Been talking with Mo for the BS Sports Show. Mo, appreciate you jumping on board with us today, talking a little bit about the NBA playoffs and the NFL draft. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Cowboysforangels.com.
Just look that up, Tom, and you'll, 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 you'll understand that joke. Uh, uh, I got it. I'm with you, man. All right, buddy. You have yourself a good and safe weekend. We'll talk with you again soon. All right. You too. Mo for the BS Sports Show. Always love having him on. Uh, joins us to wrap up things today. Thank you to Matthew Embry of Popular Open Wheel Now. Uh, talking a lot, some IndyCar with us, as well as Tyson Lautenschlager calling us from up in Canada. Normally our, na- on our NASCAR segment, but jumped on to talk IndyCar today with us. Uh, IndyCar down in Southern California uh, with the IndyCar uh, through the streets of Long Beach. And then, of course, uh, talk with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of uh, uh, SpeedwayDigest.com, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, the Monster Energy Series are down in Bristol. It's going to be a good race this weekend in Bristol. Also, Mo from all around, a uh, good guy from Edgeville, Indiana, talked uh, spouse carrying with us. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, we talked about losing our cotton-picking mind. Uh, and uh, certainly talked a little mock draft with Rick and Mo helping us break down the first round of the NBA playoffs this weekend. Uh, the Pacers and the Cavaliers do battle. We'll see what what happens in Game One of the Indy of the um, of the NBA playoffs. My name is Tom Marquis. It's time for us to to call it a day. It's time for us to part ways, but it's not goodbye. It's just so long until next week. Right here on the Balance Radio Network, we do this thing every Saturday morning between 9 a.m. and 11. Follow us on social media at T-Balance. Remember, don't drink and drive it in. Cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.